Welcome back, listeners. I know last week we kind of cut it off in the middle of eBay, and we're going to pick that right back up here where we're going to talk about listings and such because that's a huge major portion of eBay. Last week, for those listeners that are just catching into us, maybe they haven't listened or they didn't care to listen to that that different portion. Doesn't bother me either way because uh, you're here now. We talked about auction portions of how we got into auctioneering and what he has for his business. And then we started talking about eBay, talking about you know how he buys his inventory, what it takes to items that he does sell and where he gets his inventory from. So now we're going to pick up for how long it really takes to create that listing and a little bit more detail going into. So John, thank you for continuing to have your time to spend with us today about teaching about eBay. I'm always here for you, Kate, anything you ever need. You you say that, but then I'm going to call you at two o'clock in the morning and be like, hey, I need you to help me move this mattress that from one bedroom to the next. And you're going to be like, uh, no. Actually, my wife has a requirement because of the eBay app that our phones go on do not disturb. And so unless you're approved on the list to come through that do not disturb, I won't get it until eight o'clock the next morning. That is one smart man. And I'm glad your wife has that set in place for it. It makes, makes life easier here. Well, because I'll hear that cha-ching, which is what the eBay app makes. And huh? What? Money. 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 Yeah. <laughs> and so we just, we, we decided to set that up so that it wouldn't do that. <laughs> got to have your boundaries. Yes. You got to have your boundaries. So creating listings here, that is the key most important part to selling an item, how long does it take for you to create a listing? Well, we do it in parts. And so my son, Jacob, actually is now helping us as well. He's he's 20 years old. He wants to be an, an author. And so in order to pay his rent, <laughs> per se, room and board, I guess we'll call it. Got to pay your dues. He, he works for us about 20 hours a week. And so he does, at this point, the majority of the listings. But we do it in parts, like I said. And so... He'll start with the item, looking at it, determining the price of it. And, and we use a third-party listing system called 6-Bit that is basically our own internal database. And so we can access it from all of our different computers, my wife's computer when she's taking pictures and all that, to the computer that he's using doing actual listings. And so the actual listing itself in an hour, he'll probably do, or in a four-hour period, he'll do about 20 to 25, depending on the product. Wow. That's that's and, a lot. But he's not taking the photos. So understand that. So that's an additional component that my wife does. And we use him to do the listings. My wife takes the photos for, for one very simple reason. Having a second pair of eyes look at an item, especially if you're talking about a high-end die-cast tractor or something like that. One of you may not notice a scratch, but the second person does. And so we want to make sure our description is accurate because that is the biggest thing that items get returned on eBay is for items not as described. And so you get a return. Well, then that costs me money. True. If items are brand new in the package and have the UPC code on it, eBay, you can actually go in and type in the UPC code and it'll bring up anything with that UPC code that people have previously entered. And so you can see how much it's worth, how much it is and all that kind of stuff. And you just rock and roll. What happens a lot of times is, and, and again, my son is new to this. He's only been doing it for three months, give or take. He'll have to use Google Lens. If you haven't used Google Lens, I do recommend it. You, you, you basically open it up, you take a picture of it, and it goes out and finds it on the internet. That's really cool. So if you don't know what something is, it really does speed your process along if you can find something on it. How long does that usually take to get back to you on if you put something out there? Oh, it's instantaneous. Just like what? It's just like Googling Cade Curtis auctions and hitting enter. The picture will go out and find it very quickly. I'll wait for my invoice to come in too for the plug. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm just getting up quickly. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't have the metrics on exactly how long it, it takes. Cause like I said, sometimes if we've got die cast cars that need to be wiped down or cleaned or, or action figures that we don't know the name of, it takes longer than something that's brand new in the package. So we kind of look at it on an hourly basis or, you know, his block of four hours, we look for him to do 20 to 25, give or take, somewhere in that range. So he has his quota here now, you know. If he doesn't meet his quota, then he loses his money here. He, the end of the he doesn't commission. get dessert, let's put it that way. Ooh, harsh. I know. It's incentive though, it's incentive based. If he wants to keep eating his mint chocolate chip ice cream, yes, he's got to do the work. 
That is that is very fair. Yeah. I, I hope that he don't just pay him in straight just mint chocolate ice cream or, you know, pay him with rent and board kind of deal. Hopefully he, he, gets, he gets rent and board. And that's that can be very expensive these days. Yes. Man, it's expensive these days. Especially with a twenty year old son. That's true. He likes to eat. Who doesn't like to eat? Uh, well, that's that's, that's, it, a, that's a good question here. Yeah. Now, you said he does that process of creating the listings. You said your wife takes photos. How long does that take to be able to create a photo? And what goes into that? Because the picture says a thousand words. Yes. If there's one thing, if you're going to get into eBay listings, learn how to take photos. And I say that because you may forget to put on there that it's missing the left front tire. But if it's not showing in the picture, the, the buyer has a good idea of what actual condition it's in. And so we've got a quote unquote folding table that she has, or let me rephrase that I put up on cinder blocks to raise it up higher. So we're not bending over, you know, that kind of thing. And so then we've got side lights, overhead light, and then we've got, you know, a, a higher end camera and we've upgraded our camera over the years as the camera's gotten better. We've gotten better with our photography. And so we'll take a, you know, it's a, a Nikon camera. We're taking a good quality photo. We take as many pictures as we think is necessary. It could be anywhere from four pictures up to 12 pictures. Yeah. Cause isn't that the limit 12? I believe so. Yeah. It may be 16, 12 or 16. You can pay, I think for extra photos, but I don't like to do that. No blame. It takes away from your profit. Exactly. So we take as many photos as we think is necessary and we describe it and, and she'll make her notes right then and there as she's taking the photos. Cause as she's turning it, every time she's turning it, she's looking at it in the camera, she's zooming in on it. She's getting all these different aspects of the item that my son Jacob may have missed because he may be looking at the tractor in the box just getting the listing ready, but never opened the box to actually look at the item inside. And so that's why we do that. And we do the second look there. And then some of the time I'm actually going in and checking the prices and doing different things. So we each have our own separate duties. I'm in charge of acquisitions. You get to be out on the road. I get the fun part. <laughs> and then my, you know, my son does the listings and then my wife does the photos and the shipping. Now you mentioned earlier about having the five stars and having all the ratings of 1,000, like 5,000. Mm -hmm. How do you get yourself boosted above another individual of, hey, they're gonna, I'm gonna be towards the top or I'm gonna be in the top like four or five to see my listing over say Joe Schmo over here who's has the same item, has the same quality. His may be new, I may be used to kind of get ahead of him. First and foremost, picture. And so we use a white background or black background if necessary, you know, if it's got a lot of white in it to make it pop. Okay. Again, the photo is probably the most important thing because that's what gets people to click on your listing. Okay. From there, I, I, I think if, if you're going out and again, I sell toys. So if you're looking for that He-Man in the package type figure, you may plug that into eBay and do your search. Okay. You may want graded, you may want ungraded. It just depends on what you're looking for, right? But then you, you've you got this list of say 50 items. Well, how do you get to be at the top? Well, top rated seller, which is what we are, brings you to the top. If you are doing a promoted listing, which you pay extra for, that then brings you to the top. And full disclosure, I rarely do any promoted listings. Well, and you've sold you know 16,000 items, you kind of have some probably great reviews. I have 100% feedback, positive feedback. And that's because, you know, if, if you get an item and it's not as described, we'll take that return. We don't have a problem doing that. Returns are a cost of business. Yeah, it is. Now, I have sold in the past, I sold a pair of vintage earrings and then I shipped them. And then the lady came back and said, well, I only got one. Really? Sometimes a little fishy. A little fishy. I'm sitting there going, you lost one. You sound my pair. You bought it, and so I made her return it. There is feedback extortion, if I could call it that. You'll have some buyers that are, they buy it for, let's say, 100 bucks. they get it, and then they'll say, well, there's something wrong with it. If you don't give me a discount on it, then I'm not going to leave you positive feedback. Which is unfortunate that, which, that exists. Which is, which is un unfortunate. 
And so you get some of that and we just, we, we just don't deal with it. We, we basically tell them, no, send the item back. And then either they'll send it back and get a full refund or they won't do anything. Are you able to get, say, if someone writes negative feedback, how do you deal with that of, do you, can you get it fixed or do you just make comments back or what do you do? So in the feedback system, if, if they're doing what's called feedback extortion, eBay can see all the messages that you've sent between the buyer and the seller. So if somebody has messaged us that we go, we call eBay seller's helpline and they'll go in, take a look. They see that's what's going on. Then they pull that feedback off and it's, it's not an issue. Have I had that happen out of the 16,000 items sold? Maybe three times. Nice. Have we gotten negative feedback once or twice? Maybe total. And the way eBay's feedback work, it's it's only for a certain amount of time frame that is their rating system with the 100% feedback. You get your stars for the entire life of your yes. account, but there's only a certain time frame. And unfortunately, I don't know what the time frame is. I think it's 90 or 120 days. Oh, so it's like a little review. So right. yeah, it's a it's a constant review of how you're doing currently. Now, I will say that eBay is very diligent as well on removing items that are prohibited. And for example, eBay made the decision back in, I was living in Delaware, probably 2013, 2014, to stop selling Confederate flags or anything with the Confederate symbol on them. Well, good or bad, I had bought out part of a flag store in Delaware at an auction. So you had some flags. I had probably 15 Confederate flags. As soon as eBay made that announcement that they were pulling anything with a confederate flag on it i sold every single one of those flags on ebay <laughs> just yeah get them gone before the plot before i could even do anything they all sold boom 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 all different sizes whatever and that was a that was a very good day and so then they they came in after we sold them we had already shipped them and everything and they started pulling our listings we're like okay it's already sold fine with me yeah exactly it's yeah. already got my profit from yeah, it exactly that's so, smart that they you know you can be able to see that is that they gave like a timeline of we're going to stop at this point or correct okay so let you see then the pipeline that is coming down well and it created an urgency that's true product of you know supply demand supply demand there was a supply well they were cutting off the supply so the demand still happened that's true to be able to kind of get what they wanted for it now whenever you're making that listing there's different ways you can set it up. You can just set up as a straight auction. You can do an auction with a buy now price. You can just do a fixed price. You can do a fixed price with or best offer or make an offer. How do you decide what goes to what? We, on average, I would say 99% of our listings are buy it now with the best offer. And the reason I say that is I'm able to find that He-Man figure or you know, that, that die cast tractor or that hot wheels or, or whatever it is somewhere in the eBay solds. Or I also have a subscription to worth point, which is a third party website that actually collects sales data for eBay all the way back to say 2004, 2005. Wow. That's a big backlog. It's, it's big. They also collect auction house sales. And as an auction house, I, I actually provide my sales to them as part of their data feed as well. And so I'm able to, and, and I look at WorthPoint, again, I am a business partner of theirs. And so please understand where I'm coming from is I'm able to get a competitive advantage by using WorthPoint at an auction. Because let's say, true. let's say this Coca-Cola bottle that I have in front of me hasn't sold in the last 90 or 120 days. I forget how far eBay solds go back. It may actually be four months. But if it sold two years ago, and let's say it sold for $100, well, everybody, most people are only looking on eBay. They're not going they further don't, than that. They don't have that data resource. So I actually am able to buy it usually cheaper because nobody else finds it. Oh, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. And so, and I've bought many items that way many items that way and i it pays for itself usually in one maybe two transactions a year yeah i guess i guess it's a subscription base it is subscription base it's a yearly fee but the data knowledge there 
from eBay alone, not including all the other auction houses that provide their listings, is invaluable to me. Yeah, having a comp is, goes a long way. Because like I mentioned, Google Lens, it may pull something up if I'm worth point. And other people can't get, unless you're a subscribed member, you can see it, but you don't have access to the data of what it sold for or anything like that. Yeah, this is good to have different programs that are out there to help make your life easier mm -hmm. as well, rather than back in the 90s, 80s, 70s, people are flipping through books trying to figure out, you know, kind of what's going on with, with that price. Oh, that, you know, that price was, but that's a 2000, no, that's a 1989 version, not the 1990 version where we've updated some information. It, it, it absolutely is. It used to be just whoever had the biggest knowledge base, right? It's true. Now we all have access to the database at our fingertips. It's just who's willing to pay for it. That's true. You can always ask for $1,000, but if it's only sold for $75 four or five times, an item is only worth what someone's going to pay for it. Absolutely. And regardless of what market you're in or how you're selling it, it's only worth what somebody's willing to pay for it. Exactly. That goes a long way. Now, as far as shipping goes, you've mentioned a lot about shipping here, but mm -hmm. whenever I look on eBay, I always see, you know, I'm offering free shipping or I'm offering it's $24.99 and eBay has the option where you can put in the dimensions and put in the weight and it helps schedule up for what it is in California, what it is in Georgia. So when the buyer's buying it, you know how much you're going to spend in shipping and that kind of saves you that how do you choose between free or using that system? Again, 99% of our listings are going to have free shipping on them. And so what we do is we build in the price of the shipping into the listed price of the item, assuming that the pro product is going to go to California because that's our large farthest away zone. And we sell quite a bit to California, amazingly. Now, there's going to be the off chance that somebody in Alaska or Hawaii is going to buy it, but that's the cost of doing business. Will I lose some money on that? Yes. Will I ever lose everything? No. And so if I've got an item listed at 50 bucks with the premise of it going to California and somebody offers me $45 for the item staying, let's say go to Florida, I'm going to take that offer all day long. True. Okay. Now, if it's somebody in Alaska offering me $45, I'm probably going to say no and go back and say, I'm sorry, with shipping to Alaska, I can do this and counter back. But it all goes into how big it is, how heavy it is, you know, the cost of the shipping and whether or not we get to. And, and we ship actually quite a bit with UPS now because of the price increases of USPS, UPS with their bulk discount with eBay is sometimes cheaper. I dropped four packages off at UPS yesterday versus nine packages, 10 packages at the Postal Service yesterday. Yeah, I know Amazon has that as well, that they, you can be able to do they, they do the bulk packaging of you bring in the item and they just kind of package it and have it all together so you're not having to pay a heavier fee for doing it the USPS. Correct. Mm -hmm. and yeah, ship, shipping has every six months, shipping goes up. The Postal Service was mandated, I believe, by Congress to fully fund their pension funds way back, you know, 5, 10, 15 years ago. And it has caused them to have to raise their postal prices all the time because when the government get in, gets involved in a business, prices go up. That's true. It changes. It, it changes. And so if it were me, you know, I'd rather use UPS and, and all that because it's better quality. It's better tracking. You know, there's a lot. But the USPS is still somewhat cheaper on some items, especially on first class mail. Yeah. And the small little flat rate envelopes that they oh, do. Yeah. Hardly ever am I in anything in, in an envelope because uh, let's say a Darth Vader figure from the return of the Jedi crushed, <laughs> it'll get crushed. And so you don't want that to happen because they're a collector collecting. And so they want cream of the crop. They don't want it bent. They don't want, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so you, you want to make sure you take care of it, even if it costs a little bit more shipping, because otherwise you're going to get a return and that costs you more shipping. It's going to build up. It's going to build up fast. Now, what do you do with your leftover inventory? If Say if you've had something for four or five years or you've had it for six months, you go, this is just not selling. What, what do you do? So I have a couple of options. One, I can run it through the auction. So, you know, if, I, if I've gone out and bought somebody's Barbie collection 
and I bought a Barbie collection last year. I mean, and it filled up a third of the van and it was, it was a good size Barbie collection. And so we've had it for a year. We've got it on sale right now on eBay. We've made way more than we put into it, but there's nothing to say that I can't put it into an auction and, or put it into one of our booths. Ah, yes. Diversification, diversification or Facebook marketplace or, you know, some other online way of selling it. There's multitude of avenues. We also do list perfectly and we sell, we sell on multiple platforms online as well. That's extremely smart to be able to, to do that. And I'm sure a lot of listeners, there you go. There's another piece of knowledge. There's a lot of little nuggets here that he's giving us that perhaps you never thought about, or maybe didn't find through someone's article or anything. So, you know, send a John a check in the mail just to, you know, let him know that you have a nice thing, or you can write it to me and send it over, you know, PayPal or something in the Patreon form. And I'll, I'll give him a small percentage. I'll take any percentage. Now, how do they handle taxes? That's a totally different world. I mentioned earlier, you said like, oh, they sent me a 1099 or something like that. How does that work with eBay? Well, there's been a major change this year. And so the government, I think it was last November or it was early this year, made a change to where any electronic payments that you receive now in excess of $600, you get a 1099 on. And so last year it was 20,000. That's if, a big jump, 20,000 to 600. Well, the goal was, from my understanding, from reading some of it, was you have a lot of people that are gig workers. You got your Uber Eats, you got your Uber driver, you got your ship grocery delivery, all that kind of stuff, which is more of a gig, if I could use that word, gig job. They're working part-time, they're doing this, they're doing that. They may not make 20000 a year doing it. That's true. Your pizza delivery guy, you know, any of that kind of stuff. And so the goal was for the government to then get their taxes off of that money. They want to find it. They want their money. Uncle Sam's going to find a way to get it. Correct. And so now you're seeing where, for me, it made no difference. It does, because I sell well well more than 20000 I've been getting 1099 by PayPal or eBay for years now. It, 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 there's no difference to me. But your mom and pop seller that sold $1,500, $2,000 a year now is getting a 1099. And think about this. If you're going to sell that item, your kids' toys, let's, let's just say that. Your, your kids' toys, they're, they bought a, you bought them a Lego set for Christmas. They're now out of Legos. You know, they're going to college. And so you've got a couple of Lego sets. Okay, you sell those online. They bring $800. You're now getting a, a, a tax form for $800. Now, in my world, I have my cost of goods sold, or COGS, as, as known in accounting world, right? I have my, I know what I paid for things. So I can take that $800 minus my cost to get sold to actually get to my net income. Smart. Yeah. Okay. But your kid got that as a gift. Ooh. From you. Let's say it's from you. But how many of you have your receipt from four years ago where you bought it for your kid to be able to say that's what you paid for the item? So you have no way to deduct that item off. So instead of paying taxes on your net, you're going to be paying taxes on your full amount because you have no write-off for it. Now, how do you do that whenever you're going around and picking? You're not getting a receipt from a... Well, I get a receipt from auctions and I get a receipt from estate sales, typically. But if I stop at a garage sale, I don't. So I make my own receipt. Oh, that's So I will say, you know, um, let me rephrase. My wife will say... Lego set purchased and I, I try to give her an address of where I was, you know, because if I'm in your neighborhood, for example, Kate, I might say, you know, Main Street, 123 Main Street, Lego set and how much I paid for it. And she'll write up a receipt. That's the best we can do. Yeah. Because I'm paying cash for the item. But I think a lot of people are not looking at the intrinsic value of actually starting a business. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot that goes into it. So a we, lot. Yeah. So if you're going to do it and you're going to sell more than six hundred dollars, you know, start out small, enjoy it. You know, do a little bit here and there. 
But if you're going to do it, make it a business. And here's why. One, you're going to be using your phone, right? As I hold up my phone to show you, Kate. Which you is, don't, yeah. Yeah. You're using your phone to look up items to see what they're worth, right? You're now writing off your phone. Okay. You're driving around looking for inventory. Keep a mileage log. Why? You're going to write the mileage off. Are you storing items in your home? Yes. You can now write off part of your home. Now, I am not giving you a accounting advice. Please talk to your CPA. little disclaimer there, if I could, Kate. You're shipping. Well, that's a shipping expense. Your boxes, that's a supplies expense. You know, so you've got all your packing peanuts. It's a supplies expense. So you keep track of all these expenses that you do have to offset your income. Your internet, guess what? You're using it for business now. It's a write-off. Aren't you able to do that with your car too, Of like with car insurance, if you label it as a business car? Like you can rent it to yourself or something like that? I don't know. Okay, I, yeah. I just take the mileage. Gotcha. Because it's it's very clear if you're working for your business, you can write off your mileage on a personal car. And that's what our CPA does for us. Smart. Yeah, that's the thing. Do you, so are you set up as like an LLC, sole proprietorship, something like that with a tax ID number and, and things like that? I, absolutely. And so, you know, I don't like to name my companies regular things. So... Ours is called Pink Gorilla Auctions and Sales, LLC. <laughs> oh, man. And it's called that because guess what? I was at an auction and they had a six foot tall pink gorilla that would stand up and rotate and wave. Is this like an inflatable? Not an inflatable. It's it's actually like, a, think of a gorilla suit. Okay. Okay. But it was on a on a platform that would turn and we've named him Bob. And so Bob is a friend of ours. And so that's where we got the name for the store. Because, again, it's different. We didn't want anything to say, you know, this is John and Natalie's store or anything like that. It's just. Yeah, you don't have to worry about someone having that same name. Correct. And so we are an LLC. A lot of that is the legal protections that an LLC gives you. And, in, in, you know, let's say somebody opens up a box or something like that and a, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to take it to the extreme. A packing peanut, when they open the lid, comes flying, hits them in the eye, and causes them damage. Who knows? We could get sued over it. Well, the LLC, that's what would get sued, not us. Yeah, you're not getting taken for everything you've got as the LLC is taking the hit for you. Correct. Smart. Extremely intelligent to be able to do that. And talk to a lawyer, talk to a CPA, talk... Inkfile.com, I think, is a big popular right mm -hmm. now. They can be able to do, but go through the processes to be able to keep that in check every year and ask for yeah, ask your CPA for best ways to, you know, protect yourself tax wise. Cause that's a, a big opportunity that's out there that a lot of people don't think about. Well, and they only look at it as, and, and I've had this conversation with dealers at the antique mall is, is that they're only looking at it as, well, I don't want to claim it. Well, you're not looking at what you can offset as part of your business. And so they're only looking at it a microscopic instead of a macro ah. look at their, their expenses and things like that. Nice. Now, what are what is the, I know, look, I sold on eBay for about three or four years. What is the fee structure like selling for eBay? Because some things are like, this costs 10%, this costs 3%. Like, how is eBay getting their money? E eBay takes a percentage of the sale. And then what's interesting is over the years, it used to be that if you were selling an item for $50, they would take, let's just say, 15% of that $50. And then you would add shipping on top of it. And then they would take, or you would add, you would charge the customer shipping as well. Okay. Well, some of the sellers got really in, in, <laughs> smart. Working, yeah. And so they were charging 99 cents for an item, but $57 shipping. So they weren't having to pay the fee. They weren't having to pay the fee on the shipping. So then eBay said, well, forget that. We're going to charge you the fee plus the shipping or the, the item cost plus the shipping. That's your total gross selling price. We're charging you 15% of your gross selling price. Ah. Now, the, the, the actual percentage and, and that kind of stuff varies on a, on a couple of factors. One being whether or not you have a store. Oh, yeah. Paying those little extra. Yeah. So... 
for example, we pay an extra amount per month to get 1,000 free listings. And mathematically, it works out good for us because of how many listings we actually do in a month. Okay. We're almost to that point where we're going to have to go to the next level to get, I think it's 10,000 listings. There's no mediocre in there. 1,000, 10,000. That's a big right. Job. But the fee structure is, you know, it, it, if you're a brand new seller, I think you get a hundred free per month. And then after that, it's a quarter or 15 cents or a quarter a piece. So when I was kind of looking at the math to go from that thousand listing level to that 5,000, we'd actually have to get up to 1,157 items listed every month before we would actually really make it financially beneficial to go to the next level. Uh, okay. So you got to play around with the math a little bit and look at it. And of course that's subject to change at any time. That's very true. Cause if, and aren't you signed in for a year contract whenever you do it, or is it a month to month basis? It's a year contract. Yeah. Yeah. It's a re year renewal. But for us, we've been doing it for so long, three, four years, five, no, probably five years on a store basis that it, it, it works out right for us. Yeah. Yeah. It pays for itself. That's but if, the if point why you do that cost effectiveness, know where your money's going, know how it's working for you. So it, Whenever you're looking at your net and you're looking at your gross, that it's balancing out there. And and so if I could talk about inventory just a little bit. Go for it. And so what we do, as, as I said, I, I buy at garage sales. I'll buy at estate sales. I'll buy at auctions. And again, most of it I buy at auction, okay, because I want to support the industry I'm in. And so we we actually have everything organized by how old it is. So what we'll do is we'll give it. Let, and I'm going to use an auction for an example. Let's say I've gone to Cade Curtis Auctions, who's had a great on-site auction, and I spent, let's say, $1,000 on items, okay? And I've got a detailed list of what I got. I'm going to put it inventory numbers on it that is going to be, first, I'm going to start off with the year, so 22 right now. And then I might put, for you, Cade, I'd probably put CC, Cade Curtis. Ooh. And then I'd put the month. Well, special now. Yeah. So... 22 cc and then what month i actually bought it in oh so let's say it's number 11 it's november 22 cc 11 and then i give it a specific indicator for the actual item as say a001 the next item down would be b001 because sometimes a lot may have you know 15 hummels in it so i'll have a001 through a015 for example so i know how much i paid per hummel you see where I'm going with it? Oh, yeah. I totally see this. It's a great system. And so what we do is as we sell things, we... we, we, we One of my cats is making an appearance and John looked down. Yeah. Hey, Zorro. And so we we actually, we just did this last night. We shifted. You know, we, we shift the inventory. We always know it's the oldest inventory item. Yeah, it's good to be able to know how long you've had it. Is it worth keeping on to? Has it sold by this time? Yeah. And yeah. so when we go back there every so often and we look at it and we go... Well, that's from 2014. And yes, I do have some items from 2014. What are we going to do with it now? I can, to your point earlier, I could run an auction on it. I've done that and blow some things out. Maybe started at 99 cents. Maybe started at $1.99, whatever. Or do I take it to the booth or do I group some of it together and put it in an auction? That's true. That's smart. Yeah. Having a system in place. I remember I used to have shelves whenever I had my shelves on stairs for records, cause I sold a lot of records was I first had an ABC order of how it was there in place. And then after I had it in ABC order, I also would do how long I'd had it in place and I have little tags that I put on the top and I would put them all in the little sleeves mm -hmm. in order to kind of protect it. And that's my system that I had in place and with books as well. I would have it by author. And then when I had it by author, then I had these are a section for signed copies. This is my regular copies in order to kind of make sure that it was easy to be able to access because when you have thousands of items or hundreds of items, you need to be able to go, there it is in you know a minute rather than going poop. Uh, where's this item at? Where yeah. is it located? And we forget sometimes that you have had this item this long. Or, you know, th there's been a couple of times where we're like, where did we put that item? It's happened, but usually it has gotten put behind something on the shelf and I've got a lot of plastic shelving. I'll be very honest. I have a lot of plastic shelving in my basement that we put all our inventory on. And so it might've gotten, when we shifted, maybe it got put behind something. 
Okay. And so usually we can find it. I think we've had one item, maybe two over our 20 years that we couldn't find. Hmm. Now, don't know why that is, but there's been something. <laughs> they're always, yeah, they're it, always. It's going to happen. It's just going to eventually. Yep. But if, so let's jump over to your antique booths. And you informed me earlier that you now have your own, you purchased a, a kind of a market there. But that's start small and then work our way up. Why, why do you sell an antique booths? Well, we decided we wanted to have as many avenues as possible to sell. Again, this is how we make a living now. It is the moneymaker. So one of our best months ever was the month of April 2021. Okay. How did that work out? Was people starting to go back out at that point? No, people were all stuck at home. They were all stuck at home. They were working from home and they were buying because the economy was still good at that point. Oh, that's true. So that was one of our best months ever. I think it was a six, $7,000 month. Wow. And we were, and, and we were sitting at home listing new items because we were at home too. You know, you got the time. We got the time. And so we were listing and listing and listing. And so stuff was selling and selling and selling, which is a great thing. But we decided we, you know, several years ago, we needed to have multiple revenues of income. And so three, no, four years now, we've been in our antique mall. And then last October of 2021, we decided to add a second booth in Gainesville. And so what that does is, and we found this to be true, is when one is down, the other's up. Don't know why that works out that way. Sometimes just don't question it. <laughs> I don't I don't question it. And so we've just been able to do that and, you know, that means I got to go out and buy more stuff. Oh, darn. I got to go to another auction. That's okay. You know, but when the mall was closed because of COVID, eBay was rocking. Yeah, because it's still there. It's still there. People were still wanting to buy whatever. And, and they were buying toys for their kids because the kids were all at home. They need something to keep they them They need something time. to keep them busy or you know something they weren't spending money on gasoline going to work so they had more disposable income so they were buying that collectible toy or 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 anything like that but we've really enjoyed having that booth so much so that we added the second booth and then now we actually own the store so that's and, a weird jump we had two was now we own the store yeah. <laughs> and it, well it just it just worked out that way you know and so as of september 1st we we will have owned the store so I enjoy it. it. It never seems to fail when I go to work my booth. I sell something. I don't know why that is. Don't question it. <laughs> I don't question it. And so, but I think it's because I'm, you know, I'm a seller. That's what I do. You know, as an auctioneer, how long do you have to sell something? Seconds. Seconds. Minutes sometimes. Exactly. Tops. So we learn how to read people quickly, right? The psychology. It's a huge part. Are they really interested in this item? Are they not? Are they just bidding to get it started? What's going on? And so you learn to read those those cues from people, and that works as well in the retail environment. Are they really interested in it? You know, if I cut the price a little bit, can I make a deal? And I'm not afraid to do that if I'm working my booth because I know how much I have in each item. Yep. That's a huge part of it. Now, whenever someone's buying a booth, what is the, a fee for owning or leasing that booth because everybody wants a cut. You're not just all of a sudden, oh, we're going to give this to you for free. Well, as the owner of the antique mall, I am a real estate agent. Think about it. You're, you're a real estate agent. Yeah. Okay. You know that real estate is expensive. Yep. And, and so sometimes one spot's better than another spot. Absolutely. Sites. Location, location, location. Exactly. Right. And so what, the way an antique mall booth works is usually, depending on the store, it's going to be some price per square foot and then a certain percent commission fee. In our store, it's $3 a square foot and it's 10% commission. Okay, okay, that's smart. Yeah. So if you're, you know, a 10 by 10 booth, that's 100 square feet, that's $300 a month plus 10% commission. Nice. Okay. 
Does that make sense? It does. You know, we have cases, we have bookcases, we have all sorts of different types, depending on what you're trying to sell. If you're selling Pokemon cards, for example, you're going to want a case. Why? Because Pokemon cards can easily be put in somebody's pocket. Yep. Easily walk away. Piece of furniture, you're going to want a booth. You know, because you can't just pick that up and walk out the store. If you can, that's very impressive. <laughs> yeah, I, I need to hire you as a, as a furniture mover um, if you can do that. So there's there's a lot of different things that we try to tailor what the, the and in this world, the booth seller needs versus what they're selling. So if they need a larger space or if they need more space or less space to, you know, well, and we tailor it to what they're trying to sell. If you're selling, like I said, Pokemon cards, you're going to want it into a, a display case, which we have those available, and you can just get the case. You don't have to have a big booth with furniture and all that other kind of stuff. If you want to deal in just records, there's an avenue for that. There's dealers that sell just records. I sell the same kind of things as I sell everything, everything, everything else because that's what I have in inventory. Yeah, you're the jack of all trades when it comes to that. So... I have stepped out there and bought furniture and done this, but more as display pieces to put comic books on. Yeah, to have your items, something to draw it a little higher. Because if you're sitting on the floor, people are going to have to bend over to look at it. But if it's sitting at eye level, not having to mess with their back, not having to do anything, it's easy flip. Yeah, and, and, and you know as well as I do, being a record guy, record people will come in and they will sit there and they will go through every record. Yep. Then they pull that record out, take a look at it. They want to look at the record itself, pull it out of the sleeve, put it back, and then they continue on. Well, if they're uncomfortable doing that, they're not going to be there for long. They're not going to be there for long. I'd rather them spend as much time as they need to spend as much money as possible. That's smart. You got got to be able to make that money there for for sure. Now, here's the part that always confuses me. You may have 10, 15 sellers inside your marketplace that you've got. You're not wanting to put a tag on your $25 item that all of a sudden if someone goes to peel it off, it's going to scratch the item or it's going to mess up the condition of the item. Now you have the little tiny tags that people put onto it. How do you pay those individuals for, you know, okay, this sold in Jamie's lot or George over here sold this item in this lot. How do you be able to create that system in order to make sure everyone's getting paid? So we use an operating system that's designed specifically for antique stores. And we enter in each dealer's code that would then be on their tag. Okay. So the tag may say coffee cup, Starbucks coffee cup. And then their code is flash and then the price. So we know to enter flash is the dealer code, quick description, and then the price. And then the system at the end of the month says flash sold 74 items. Here's their total amount minus their commission. Here's how much to pay them. The system takes care of all that. That's nice. Yeah. All we have to do is make sure this, the information is entered in correctly. And you're going to have those people that are going to try to switch tags and things like that all the time. But I guess whenever you mark a description on it, I guess that makes it a little easier to keep up with it. That's why a description is required instead of just. $22 slash $25. <laughs> it's got to say Starbucks coffee mug because you could take that tag off of one and put it on a piece of furniture and it says $22. That's $200. True. There's always going to be somebody yeah, there's, there's, you know, and we have cameras all over the place to protect our sellers as much as possible. They're visible. You can see them. You can see on the front counter where we have the display showing all the, the cameras because we want criminals to see that. Yeah. You, Want to know that, hey, there's something here to be able to protect us. Absolutely. And so you can see all that information. We're not trying to hide it. No, that's just public knowledge that you have it there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the, the the bigger issue is not the fact that, you know, theft is going to happen, but it's, it's, it's not high. Yeah. Minimize it as much as possible. Right. Any place is going to have marked into that. We're going to lose this amount of inventory. And this is what's going to be kind of cutting into someone's profits. What actually is, is more of an issue is items that the dealer brings in that they forget to put their tag on it. Oh. And so the customer comes up with that coffee mug and there's no, hey, can I get a price? Sure. What, um, what booth is that from? I don't remember. Well, now we have no idea oh, what dealer to no. contact or anything like that. So 
we then have to then, well, now as the, the owner of the store, I've lost a sale because I don't know what to price this at and I don't know what dealer to contact. So it goes into our dealer needs to claim it pile, lost and found, <laughs> pretty much. And so then we try and let the dealers know that, the, hey, you need to, whoever this is, come claim it, price it, and put it back in your boot. There's not much more I can do on that. And as an owner, that's the frustration is because where it may have only been a $5 coffee cup or something like that, it could also have been, you know, something a little bit bigger, you know, $500, $50. Oh, yeah. you never I know. mean, a piece of furniture, the customer's not going to move. Right? No. But, you know, it could be a, you know, I don't know, something that's, that's worth higher value. Yeah. And the smaller the item, sometimes it makes it easier to get that little confusion as well for people because mm-hmm. someone's going to find a way to work the system. Yep. Now, how do you keep up with all these things? Because you have so many hands and so many different directions and you're your own boss for that. How do you keep up with eBay? How do you keep up with selling on, say, Facebook Marketplace? Now owning your antique market, being an auctioneer. How do you juggle that as a person? Because that's just a memory process. Holding up his phone right now. It's amazing what a phone can do nowadays, right? This is true. All the technology in the world is at our fingertips. So one of the things you know that we both do is as soon as we get a request for us to be a ringman, I go into my calendar and put it in there. That's true. And I have to live by my calendar. So I know exactly when I need to go do a benefit auction or I have a meeting with a client or I need to call a client or any of that kind of stuff. Or you're recording a podcast today. Or I'm recording a podcast. See, it says meet with Cade right there. Bam. And so we use this as a family scheduler. Everybody has access within your family. Everybody has access within the family. Like I said, my son, you know, he works 8 p.m. to midnight usually on, on the eBay stuff. But he's also working with us at the store a little bit here and there. And so we schedule him on certain days. I mentioned I'm a high school football fan. When my wife and I go to the football games, we want him to close the store that night. So you have the knowledge in there and say, hey, we had it in the calendar. You missed your spot. <laughs> oh, no, we wouldn't leave without him being there. So, you know, it, it's just this phone does so much for us. I mean, we have the eBay app on it. We have Facebook on it. We have all that kind of stuff. So all of our communication, our email and all that kind of stuff comes through our phone. Now, if I were to lose my phone, that'd be a totally different story. The nice thing is, is if you have your, you know, Google Calendar goes onto your laptop, so you can at least be able to get a recovery there for a little bit of time. Correct. That's cool. Yeah, I didn't think about that, that all the technology we're at these days. And I I need to keep up more with updating technology and stuff. I'm using a 13-year-old laptop. My focus right there I'm using to record on is, you know, 10 years old, if not older. But it still works, but there could be easier, better ways out there. Like I just learned the last week about Descript, great program that creates a script out of my podcast saves me about an hour of time now for my editing, but you have to keep up with that too. You have to keep up with the knowledge. You have to keep up with the what's out there, what's not out there. And technology, it saves you time, saves you money. Time is money. Money is time. Absolutely. It can also be a little bit of frustration. Oh yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah. When you're trying to do certain things and it's, you're like, especially as we get older and it becomes more and more complicated. Yep. I, I am my wife calls me a little old man at times with technology. I'm like, what are you doing? Why does this not work? And she'll walk up and go click. And I yeah. go, uh, and then I'll, you know, luckily I don't throw things across the wall, but she laughs at me from time to time on it. I think all our wives laugh at us at time to time. I deal in antiques. I deal in collectibles. I don't, I'm not in today's market. I'm in the, I'm in the 1980s market. Yeah. 80s back. Yeah. That, that's kind of where I know my stuff. You have to. Yeah. You, you have know. to. So we've gone over all these different types of information that's out there. Thank you for, for giving us that. What do you have some advice who is wanting to start this adventure, whether it be small or they're already a little bit bigger, want to make that next step? What advice do you have? Are you talking about for the antique mall? For all of it, for antiques, eBay, auctioneering, you could, or you can do it one by one, or we can space it out here. I think I mentioned it earlier, but it may have been in the last episode, but if we're talking about eBay, start selling with the stuff in your house. Start absolutely there because you'll, you'll, you'll generate some funds. You, you don't want to go into debt trying to start a business if no. you can avoid it. Because <laughs> it takes a while to dig out of it. It does. And what happens if you lose interest in it? 
That's you know? true. You already have this much invested into yeah. it. Now it's lost. Correct. If you're talking about auctioneering, go to an auction. Don't go to just the same one all the time. Go to multiple ones. Go listen. Close your eyes and listen to you know, the chant. Go to check out different types of auctions. What do you want to focus in? But you definitely, you know, follow the laws of your state. You know, in, in Georgia, you got to get a license and all that. But there are some states where you don't have to have a license. Yeah, yeah and there's some states that you have to have like a mentorship that you have to be able to do. Exactly. You know, and when I moved here, I was lucky enough. I got what's called reciprocity from the state of Texas to the state of Georgia. They honored my schooling and everything from there. So then I got my Georgia license. Do you and still get to keep your Texas license at that point or do you lose it? No, you get to keep it. Okay. You can be licensed as many states as you want. And... Ironically, as the chairman of the board for the GAA, we've been talking about licensing laws. And so there are some auctioneers that don't believe in the license law. They, they don't see the point in it. They don't want it. Personally, I think that's a micro looking at your own self instead of looking at the, the macro of the auctioneering industry. Because if you were a first Georgia auctioneer license, like I believe you are, Kate, right? You're, yes. only, you're only in Georgia. Yep, only in Georgia. Well, let's say you wanted to go to North Carolina. Well, you go get a license via reciprocity. Okay. There are, Georgia has multiple states that it has reciprocity with. Well, if Georgia does away with their auctioneer license requirement, you now lose all reciprocity to all your other licenses. Oh, wow. Woo. And for, for those car auctioneers or cattle auctioneers or, you know, whoever that travel amongst the different states, if their Georgia license it could be a big hindrance because now they have to go through the North Carolina law to get their license. They have to go through and and because you can't get reciprocity from a state that you don't live in is my understanding. Okay. So you may go and get your North Carolina license, but you can't then use that as reciprocity to get your Tennessee license. You see what I'm saying? Yes. You can only use your Georgia license to get reciprocity. Because that's your home base. That's that's where your your address is. So, I've had that discussion with auctioneers and, and they, they only think of it as themselves of having to pay that fee every two years or having to get that continued education every two years. And they don't look at the broader overall auction industry. So if you have any questions about auctioneering, I, I love to talk to new people about possibly being an auctioneer. You can reach out to me at uh, angrymamasllc at gmail.com or call me. That, that is fine. 302-932-3213 as my phone number. I'll talk to anybody about being an auctioneer, about selling on eBay or or if they want a booth. I'd be happy really to talk to them if they want a booth or they can just come into the store. If you're looking to get into the the booth aspect, again, I, I go to the, the theory of go look at what is there already. Okay, stand there and kind of watch what people do. Watch what people are buying. What are they? What are they? You'd be surprised how much paint goes out of an antique mall store. Paint, like because people are redoing a. Let's say oh, take take okay. your dining room table. They're now turning it and painting it. They're making it. You know, you've got a nice brown dining room table. They're now taking it, painting it maybe black with gray accents. They're updating it. They're bringing it. Up in, you see what I'm saying? And so we have several distributors of paint within our store. That is so cool. That sell it. I never would have thought of that at all. Exactly. And and so I was shocked at how much paint goes out of the store. I really was. And we have four different four different vendors that sell paint. Wow. Different different name brands. It's not Sherwin Williams or anything like that. This is painting for furniture specifically type type paint. But go in and see what people are looking at. And I was the first one in the antique mall, my first booth, that brought in more of toys and man cave items. Okay. That gave you that niche in the market. It gave me that niche within there because you'd be surprised how many Hot Wheels I sold. I had lots of just, you know, generic Hot Wheels on the card from the 1990s, 2000s, something like that. I had bought a huge collection and it just been sitting in my basement. Well, I only paid pennies on the dollar when I bought it. Because it was at an estate, but then I'm selling them for a dollar fifty a piece. And sometimes you need those smaller items just to get 
keep someone occupied or also, hey, that's a dollar fifty. What else maybe I can look inside the booth for that appeals? But, but ironically, I've had people come in and buy 70 Hot Wheels at a time. 70? 70. Wow. Yeah. That's and intense. so exactly. Well, you take 70 times a dollar fifty, it adds up. Yeah. And so I've I've almost depleted my whole Hot Wheels collection. Selling them at a dollar fifty a piece, and doing that on eBay, you wouldn't have really made as much money in comparison because you're having to pay all the extras. Well, but but you you, you take a dollar fifty Hot Wheel, and you you pay their percentage, right? Yep. And then up. and then you got to pay shipping, so you're taking a five dollar item, and spending your time on that. I don't list anything on eBay under twenty dollars. Smart to have a limit. It's it's just not worth the time and effort. When I can take that same item and put it in my booth and sell it that way. You see what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. And you, you're using your knowledge that you have in order to make sure that you're making the maximum amount of money. And I know I can go out now, since I have the booths, I can go out and buy bigger items. You know, like a four-foot Coca-Cola sign. Well, I know exactly where that's going to go. That's going to go in a booth. You see what I'm saying? So, I mean, you look at, Pete, to get back to your question, you know, you look at what's selling, kind of get understand the market, because you, you you've heard of Waterford, you've heard of Yadro, you've heard of those collectible type things. Again, people collect what they know as children. Yes. Oh, entirely. Okay. And so, my mother had a collection of Hummels. I don't care for Hummels, but I know what they are because I knew them as a kid. And if I can get a good deal on them, I'll buy them. Smart. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of different things that take it into, but knowing your market, regardless of what it is, is is what you have to have knowledge of. So if I'm going into an antique mall, but I've never redone furniture, don't try and redo furniture to put that into your booth. Yeah, you got to do what you know. Do what 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 you know. know. If you know toys, put toys in. If you know baseball cards, baseball cards have made a resurgence. Yeah, that was very surprising to me. That is, it's kind Absol- of made that bit. Absolutely. It has totally made a resurgence. However, the 1980s through the 2000s cards are still dead. But the current cards, they've decreased the number of cards they made, basically. They realized their mistakes. Yeah, yeah. They've cut down the supply, which has increased the price of these things. And the, and here, here here's, the, here's the thing. We did an auction a year ago, April. I had gone into this gentleman's house who lived up in the mountain, Jasper, and army gentleman. He'd been in Japan for 30 years as an army officer. Wow. Well, his kids had grew up there and everything speaks fluent Japanese. And lo and behold, we go down into the basement. I mean, he had great military items, whatever. I'm a toy guy. I see up on the shelf, I see Imperial shuttle from star Wars in the box. Money, money, money. Exactly. And then I turn the corner. And there's shelf after shelf after shelf full of Star Wars toys. In the box. Figures, At-At, Jawas, X-Wing, whatever it was. He had pretty much the gambit. All marked with the code for the PX. So even a little bit rarer. Because it didn't have a Toys R Us sticker. Nope. And so, those sold... We sold the one shuttle for $750. Wow. I talked to the gentleman that bought it because I was shipping it to Florida. He goes, I'm buying my childhood. See, that's beautiful right there. That's beautiful. I couldn't, my parents couldn't afford it for me then. I can afford it for me now. So I'm buying it. That's smart. So smart. You, it comes back around because if you have those, that generation now has money. You look, you know. You add the number where we're currently at with the 21, 22 years old. Now you look back to the items of 2000. And then you look at the 30 year olds, you jump back and you add your math here. What are those items that are looking at? Well, and, and, and you, if you look at my age, 47, I grew up with Star Wars, for example. I'm just going to use Star Wars. I grew up with Star Wars, right? I was two when the first movie came out, or three. But, you know. As it continued on. Yeah. As it continued on. Well, I went to high school, went to college, got out of there, got married, had kids. Now my kids are self-sufficient for the most part. 
They still eat, apparently, but I have to pay for that. But my disposable income just went up some more is where I can do different things now because I'm not paying off my student loans. I'm not paying off, you know, all this other stuff, college debt for my kids or any of that kind of stuff. So I have more disposable income. So I'm, I'm recapturing my youth. That's the way a lot of people are looking at things right now. True. It's a good point. It's a very good point. And especially with toys, that's a big part of our youth entirely that we want to be able to recapture. And some people are buying that to share with their children as well at that. So that's why I had some of the, it doesn't matter if it's still mint in the box or if it's out of the box, sometimes people want that more because they want to be able to say they want to play with their child with it. Well, it's like records. They've made a big comeback. Yep. Because we grew up with records. We, you know, the sound quality on a record is a lot different. It's different. It's entirely. Totally. And so we want to share that with our children or grandchildren now. And so records have made it. And if you look at the buyers of records, they're coming in. They're my age. They're mid 40s, 30s to 50s, somewhere in that range. That's what they want. Yep. I'm 33 and I kind of caught that tail end of it with my but, parents. But you're an old soul at heart. Yeah. I'm, I'm probably about 65, 70, you know, when it kind of hits that. My little old man comes out pretty frequently. I love playing bingo. I love, you know, going out and having a little fun that way. But yeah, everybody's got their own thing. Uh, I appreciate the kind words of saying that. It's a compliment. So Some well, people may not take it as a compliment, but I do. Well, but you and I both enjoy bowling too. Yes. Yes. Which I have every Thursday night. I'm in a league and I go down and bowl. There you go. That's, that's old man syndrome. Bowling yeah. league. Hey, you know, just is what it is. Yep. It is what it is. Now... Do you have any last minute things as we wind down here that maybe we didn't discuss or something that you just want to kind of throw out there, like little words of wisdom? If you're going to get into the resale market, sell what you know, but don't be afraid to take a chance. And I say that, you know, I, I know Lego sets and I've bought a $5 Lego set at a garage sale and I sold it for $900. Okay. Fact. It happened. But there have been times that I just sit there and I go, that's just too good a deal to pass up. And so I might take a chance of throwing five or 10 bucks at something and it might bring back, you know, a couple of bucks. I mean, I bought a commercial pressure washer at an auction. That definitely doesn't seem up your alley. It's definitely not up my alley. But it was $150 and I took a chance on it. Now, granted, I knew the auction house owner, okay? And so... I took pictures of it before I left and it's a big piece, right? Put it up on eBay, buy it now, sold overnight. Wow. For $950, give or take. Okay. $850 profit there. I never even moved it. You left it in the the place where it was at. I did. I I talked to the auction house. There was a gentleman named Tilly who kind of ran everything. I said, I'll give you 50 bucks if you handle the pickup on this. He goes, sure. Nice. I never touched it. I never moved it, but it was way outside of my comfort zone. You just paid for it. I just it. paid for it. Took some photos, put a listing up, and it sold. Smart. So know what you know, but don't be afraid of what you don't know. Great words of advice there. Great words. Now, I want to give that time for before, throughout the episodes, we've mentioned in names and stuff, selfless marketing. Go for it. What do you got? So a couple of different businesses. You got to have your fingers in a lot of different things. Angry Mama's Auctions. We are on high bid when we have an auction open. But if you'll follow us on Facebook at Angry Mama's Auctions, then we have Angry Mama's Antiques and Interiors. Now we are both located inside the same store incoming at the 131B Square incoming. And then our eBay store is Pink Gorilla Auctions and Sales. Again, we don't like normal names on anything. And if you have any questions, you can email us at angrymamasllc at gmail.com. Or like I said, if you have questions, you can call me, text me 302-932-3213. Just don't expect from the hours of, was it 10 o'clock till 8 o'clock the next morning to get a response? Eastern time. Eastern yes. time. Okay. Yeah, who knows? Somebody in Italy may be listening to this and have a question. There you go. Positive reach there. Now, thank you for coming on. This has been a great pleasure to be able to learn and share that's the whole point with learning from friends or learning from each other and sharing with the audience the things that we know and passionate about. So, John, thank you. Like, I deeply appreciate your sharing your time with me. 
Thanks, Kate. And I, I will say this was much more involved than the interview I did on MLB Network. So thank you. Uh, <laughs> this was a lot more fun. Hopefully it'll bring you some revenue as well for maybe finding an eBay or somebody that listens local to come by your marketplace and be able to buy something as well. Or sell. We exactly. also buy That's items as well. So if, if you have an item you want to sell, let us know. Or if you have bulk items that you want to be able to sell as well, he travels and picks stuff up. Or Cade, if they have a charity and they need the two of us to come and do a little uh, Laurel and Hardy gig, we could do that as well. And you can be able to reach out to him. You can be able to reach out for me for benefit fundraising auctions. That's something that we enjoy and love to do. So definitely do so on that. Good plug. I totally forgot to do that one. See, this this is why you're smart. This is this is why you make the big bucks. Kate, I'm going to ask you a question before we wrap up. Uh-oh. What is the three rules of auctioneering? Uh-oh. I don't I'm I'm not thinking that far. What what do we got? Remind me. First rule, everyone knows needs to know you're an auctioneer. Second rule, everyone needs to know you're an auctioneer. Third rule, see rule one and two, everyone needs to know you're an auctioneer. <laughs> Man, you got me. I love that. And also have your elevator pitch. Absolutely. Always have your elevator pitch. So, because you never know when that's going to kind of pop up. That was something that we started working on. You remind me to work on it though, because like five or six years ago. Something like and that. Yeah. Still, still grows constantly. This has been phenomenal conversation. If you didn't listen to the first part, go back and listen to the first part. There's wonderful gems there. Re-listen to this. Share the information with others. I hope you find some success in this or find some other little tidbits that may encourage you to go further. I love getting to do this. I love getting to share that time with people. It's just a beautiful thing. Take that time to, you never know what you're going to learn from the person next to you. Share this with others, whether it's your neighbor, your best friend, a coworker, share it with your cat, you know, whatever's kind of out there for it. I'm on basically any platform for podcasts like Google, Apple, Spotify. That's if you're on that platform that you listen to, it's probably there. You can search Learning from Friends podcast. It'll pop up. I have a website, which is learningfromfriends.com. I'm also on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. You can be able to reach out through email as well. I'll try to answer and respond as quick as I can. It may take me a couple days because sometimes I forget to check my email. It's just one of those things in my life. I teach, so I'm not always dealing with the podcast stuff. So that's part of life. But as we leave here, the most important thing, if I can leave you with any knowledge and wisdom, is don't forget to let your curiosity fly high. My name is Kay Curtis, your tour guide with learning from friends. Thank you.